0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Hope some of you got to enjoy some unexpected guests and some unexpected food last night. I know my family had a great time. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner? Uh, we're going to dive right in this morning. Um, how many remember when uh, the iPhone came out in 2007? You guys remember when this thing came out? I mean, this, this became so popular. Um, Apple's popularity was exploding uh, um, the iPad came out in 2010 and I re- remember when people were standing in long lines to get the latest release, the latest iPhone, the latest iPad. Anybody stand in one of those lines? Any, any Apple fanatics here? Okay, no, we don't have any there. That's, that's probably good. Uh, but I, I remember it seemed like nothing could stop Apple's rise to like, the, the top. Uh, but then in 2011, Steve Jobs died. And I remember. Uh, articles were coming out, you know, what's going to happen to Apple? What's going to happen to them? I I mean, really, people were saying, I mean, Steve Jobs was kind of the genius behind uh, Apple. He was the creative mind that led to all of these products and their design. In fact, even as the CEO, he was often in on all of the design conversations. So what was going to happen to them? I I mean, in any enterprise, there always comes a time when the group has to ask itself, how are we going to carry on the founder's work? Will we ever be as good as when the founder was here? Will we be able to carry out the vision and mission with the same creativity and energy as when they were here? Now, I think the disciples were facing similar questions. How are the disciples going to do once Jesus ascends to heaven? Can they carry on? Can they really carry on what he started? These fishermen, these no-name, these ordinary guys, how are they going to do it? And that's what we have to ask ourselves 2,000 years later, right? Can we carry on what Jesus Christ started? No, I can't. I can't hold my microphone in place. But can we transmit the work of Jesus to more people and to the next generation? Can we be faithful to Jesus' vision or will we get sidetracked? You know, I've heard it said every church is just one generation away from either fruitfulness or or faithlessness, from spiritual vibrancy or death. Will we, will you and I be faithful to carry on the work of Jesus Christ? I mean, do you feel the weight of that? The disciples must have. They must have felt the weight. This whole this whole kingdom thing's on us now. You're going away. What are we gonna do? You're Jesus Christ! How are we going to carry on without you? But you know, Jesus didn't leave this to chance. He gives them instruction, direction, he gives them hope, and he is going to give them the power to do his kingdom work, as incredible as it sounds. That's what John 14 through 17 is all about, but especially the passage we're going to look at today. And if you'd like to look at the passage with me, you can open to John 14. Um, I'm primarily looking at just verses 12 through 14 but it's in the context of all, all the promises Jesus is giving. These are some of the most incredible words, incredible promises that Jesus gives to us, um, that we, we, we might dismiss this as totally impossible. I mean, how can we do the works Jesus did and even greater works than these? What is Jesus talking about? And the promise begins uh, with one of Jesus' ways of communi- communicating that this is absolutely true. In the Greek, it's the amen, amen formula that is often used, and the the NIV says, very truly I tell you. One Bible dictionary says, translates it this way, let me firmly assure you. So Jesus is trying to say, this is true, this is uh, firm truth that you should believe. Okay, so we have that established. But as I wrestled with this, well, I wondered, well, maybe this was just for the apostles. You know, like, they're the ones that really needed to get the church off the ground. You know, maybe these words are just for them. uh, But Jesus does not allow us to limit his promise in this way. Because Jesus says, whoever believes in me, or the Greek could be translated, the one who believes in me, the individual disciple who believes, whoever that may be, this is for them. This is a firm promise for them. After all, if these promises were only for the apostles, what hope do we have of carrying on the work of Jesus if we don't have the power to do it? Jesus wanted his disciples to know that they and all who would come after them would not fail, that the church would not fail to carry out his work, that Jesus would build his church through them, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But you and I are charged with this task. Will you carry on his work? And we're given three promises for this mission, as daunting as it may seem, but I think we need this promise. And the the first is this, is disciples will do the works Jesus did. Disciples will do the works Jesus did. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. The true believer in Jesus Christ will do the works of Jesus. What are the works that he's been doing? Well, he had just told the disciples, remember back, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, And then Philip says to Jesus, well, just show us the Father and that will be enough, enough. And Jesus is kind of flabbergasted. And he says in verse 10, we're backing up a little bit, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So what are these works Jesus has been doing? Well, in verse 11, I think it's somewhat obvious that he's referring to these miraculous signs he's been doing. Believe in this evidence, he is saying. Now, we're going to get to that and about the miracles, but I think we would limit ourselves and we would limit this Uh, uh, Jesus' work if we only were talking about miracles. It's much broader than that. It's so much broader than that. Because in some sense, the works of Jesus are everything Jesus did. Because the Father was always working through him. In fact, we'll go back to John 5. I think I have this up on the screen for you. Maybe. Do we have this up here? Yes, thank you. My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So the works in general, the works that Jesus did, are the works that the Father sent Him to do, directed Him to do, and empowered Him to do. What did Jesus do? He said He, he came to proclaim Good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, in one of his sermons, the Apostle Peter says, Jesus just went about doing good. He went about doing good. If you want to know what Jesus was up to, he was doing good for other people. That's what he was doing with most of his time helping people, and alleviating suffering. And I find that the the summary of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, he kind of often sums up Jesus' work, and and he gives three words, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And I think I have this up for you as well. Let's go to Matthew 4. In a summary statement, Matthew says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So these are kind of the three ways to summarize the works of Jesus. He taught the truth, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and he, helped, he healed and helped those who were suffering. This is the work. We, our church, Faith Covenant, all churches, we're called to continue this work. And this does include healing people in whatever way that we can. And certainly as we read in the book of Acts, you see the disciples Uh, uh, performing miracles in Jesus' name. Uh, And then Paul, he lists healing and miracles as some of the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, that does assume that not everyone has these gifts, uh, but it does mean that the age of miraculous is not over. That miracles are still possible for the disciple who prays in Jesus' name. People can still be healed. But then do you say to me, well, Nate, well, if that's true, how come I didn't get a miracle when I prayed for one? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. And I don't have time to give you a whole theology of the miraculous today. Uh, but for, I don't know if you're like me, I have to like sort things out in my mind. Like, well, how does this really work then? And let, let me just give you three thoughts that help me. Uh, one is that the Lord is sovereign over when he chooses to do miracles. Jesus did not heal everyone in the world who was sick. He healed everyone people in Palestine as a part of his ministry and mission he had, he had a, a sovereign purpose that he was doing for his kingdom work and god often has purposes beyond our own that we cannot even see or fathom and often we cannot see them until way after the fact a, se- a second thought that helps me is that you can have the most powerful faith and god still says no and nothing changes i cannot think of, of anybody with greater faith than the apostle paul I mean, this is the guy who was like stoned in a city. You remember this in Acts? He's stoned. They think he's dead. And then he gets back up and goes back into the same city that just stoned him. I mean, this guy has the most incredible faith. And then it says, he prays three times, God, remove this thorn in the flesh from me. And Jesus says to him, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. But I think if we're honest, we're not... not, too interested in the power that's available through weakness. Wouldn't you much rather just be healed and be strong and manage ourselves? Lord, just heal me so I can get back to doing this myself. We're not interested in the power that comes through weakness, but God likes to work through weakness to bring himself glory. So that's a thought that helps me. This, This may not help you at all. I hope it does. The last thought that helped me is that we need to really expand our concept of the miraculous of healing. Um, you know, I think often we do not give the Lord credit when He does heal us. Um, you know, for centuries, uh, Christians read um, from other books besides the 66 books we have in the, in the, in the Bible. Uh, there are books called the Apocrypha. For centuries, Christians read these, the church fathers read these. Uh, when Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, He included the Apocrypha right after the Old Testament. And he said that these books are not held equal to the Scriptures, but they are useful and good to read. So why don't many Christians read them today? Well, you'll have to go to the Faith Academy Church History class um, to understand that. We can't can't get into that today. Uh, but I believe that we are impoverished in some sense for not having some of the wisdom contained within these books. And let me just give you one example of why. This comes from uh, Sirach or the Ben Sira, the wisdom of Ben Sira. It says, Honor physicians for their services, for the Lord created them. For their gift of healing comes from the Most High, and they are rewarded by the King. The skill of physicians makes them distinguished, and in the presence of the great they are admired. The Lord created medicines out of the earth and the sensible will not despise them. I mean, is it possible that Christian doctors and counselors, they actually have the gift of healing but they don't even know it? For hundreds of years, God's people read and they, and they saw God working healing through doctors and medicines. These are gifts of healing from the creator God. Now, modern people, we, now, we think that the doctor and the medicines, they're, they're just natural means. They're not God's healing. And it's only healing if God directly heals us without the intervention of doctors or medicines. So what often I think happens is we get sick, we pray for healing, nothing happens, but then you go to the doctor, you get medicine, and you get better. Did God heal you or no? Yes. Yes, he did. If you have the eyes to see, He did. And I would say all healing, all healing, however it comes, is from God. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, all my my inmost being, forget not all of his benefits. And you remember this? Who heals all your diseases. Have any one of you, have you ever been healed of a sickness? Have you ever recovered from any injury? Have you ever recovered from ever being ill? I should see every hand going up. Every hand, not a single hand is being raised. If you've ever recovered from anything, God did that. God healed you. You've been healed by God. You know, the the people, the, the worldview of the Bible is that God is in the life. God is in the healing. When the farmer is working on the farm and he works hard and he gets up early and there's a great harvest, did the farmer do it or did God? It was God the farmer worked through it, but God is the one who brings in the harvest. God is the one who causes it to grow. In the same way, God brings healing through all the various means and people that He has gifted us with. So any any medicine or any power or any knowledge to heal, this comes from God who created it and reveals it and uses it. And now this... Forgive me if this seems like a tangent, but this is actually really important to the point of continuing the work of Jesus. Because I believe we should still pray for healing. We should still pray for miracles. If we don't ask, we won't receive. We should also pray humbly, knowing that only God knows everything. And we should thank God when he does heal us through doctors, nurses, and medicines. And this also means that you can continue Jesus' work of healing Even if you don't have the spiritual gift of miracles and healing. See, remember Jesus' work teaching, preaching, healing. We continue Jesus' work of healing when we help people get medical care, when we provide them with healthy food to eat, when we clothe them, when we help them get counseling, when we help them get clean water, when we help them get a a home to live in, a place of welcome. When you alleviate suffering of any kind, you are continuing in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. If you work in the medical field, if you work in mental health, if you're in social work, you're involved in the work of Jesus in the ministry of healing. You're continuing what he came to do. Healing work is Jesus' work. All healing comes from God. And if we continue in that, we're continuing what he started. True disciples will do the works that He did. So we'll do Jesus' work of teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, the second thing is that disciples will be empowered for greater works by the exalted Christ and the Spirit. Now, if the first point wasn't incredible enough, Jesus has to make it even more incredible for us. He takes it further. He says, whoever believes in me will will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. How do we understand this? This is a tough one to wrestle through. Uh, Now, it's been suggested uh, that um, the church, perhaps, has done quantitatively more miracles, more works than Jesus did. Since his ministry was only three years, it was only in a small part of the world, the church has been able to do all kinds of things all across the world over the past 2,000 years. Now, that is a wonderful thought, uh, but the word here for greater in this text is not the word for quantity, uh, so, um, and there would be an easier way of saying that in the Greek if that is what Jesus meant. So, I don't think this is a good interpretive option for us. Now, kind of surprising to myself as I read through the commentaries and what the church fathers said, some people have said, well, the, the, the apostles and the church, they've done uh, qualitatively greater miracles than Jesus. Uh, you know, because they, you know, they, ref, they referenced the book of Acts, uh, where Paul, people touched Paul's handkerchief or his apron and they were healed. Or, Peter, or people thought that Peter's shadow uh, might heal them and that, that these were greater miracles. But then I thought, well, did not a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, did, did she not also touch the garment of Christ and be healed of her suffering? So Jesus did that miracle. Now, I, I, could be, I could be wrong, but I don't know of any disciples of Jesus who've turned water into wine, walked on water, or fed 5,000 people and more all at once. I don't, I've never heard of that in, in church history at all. I mean, I personally believe that Jesus Christ was the greatest miracle worker the world has ever seen. And I think that's why he says, believe on the evidence of the works. They point to something different about who I am. So I don't think that this text means that individual Christians will perform more outstanding miracles than Jesus did. At least not in how we typically understand miracles. And I think that's where the interpretive clue is in this passage. Have you noticed in the book of John especially, how often people misunderstand what Jesus is saying? He says one thing and they think it's this, and they're totally off. You know, I mean, you think about the the bread of life, the living water, being born again. I mean, every, every time he says something like this, people misunderstand, they take it the wrong way. Jesus is talking about a different kingdom, a different spiritual plane. And what Jesus considers greater is likely far different than what we consider greater. I'll bring up one point about this. Uh in John the Baptist, Matthew. I think I have this for you as well. Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Oh, that's interesting. John the Baptist? It's the guy who's preparing the way of the Lord. Well, friend, by the by the authority of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you all of you are greater than John the Baptist. Jake, you're greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> Wendy, you're greater than John the Baptist. Brad, you're greater than John the Baptist. John, you're greater than John the Baptist. You're greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because you're in the kingdom of God, the new age, the new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in where His Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit of God. It's so qualitatively different and incredible than anything that's gone before. This is how radical the kingdom of God is. Everything changed when Jesus went to the Father and sent the Spirit. Everything changed. He says, they will do great, even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That means when He ascended to heaven in a seat at the right hand, and from heaven He sent the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, Jesus will say, Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. So from heaven, Jesus empowers us with the Holy Spirit of God. So, it's not so much that the disciples will do greater works than Jesus, it's that Jesus is going to to do greater works through them by the power of the Spirit. The book of Acts we preached on a little while ago, but it was all about what Jesus continued to do and teach through His Spirit-empowered church. It's not the acts of the church. It's the acts of Jesus, the acts of the risen Jesus through the Spirit-empowered church. They would do greater things. You ask, well, what could be greater than feeding a multitude of people? How about feeding people the bread of life? What could be greater than walking on water? How about teaching people how to walk with Christ? What could be greater than the raising of Lazarus? How about seeing a person spiritually dead come alive and be born again in Jesus? What could be greater than all the healing of people physically? How about people being healed spiritually in Jesus' name? The problem is, is we don't consider greater what is actually in fact greater. The greatest miracle of all is people coming alive in Jesus and entering the kingdom and getting the Spirit of God inside them. That's the greatest miracle. That's the greater work. And this is what happens. Peter boldly preaches to the same people who helped send Jesus to the cross and it says 3,000 were converted. They were added to the church and baptized. The scholar Grant Osborne simply writes, so the greater works are both the life in the new age of the Spirit and the resultant mission to the unsaved empowered by the Spirit. Can Christians still do miracles? Can God still do the miraculous? yes. I hope he does but the greatest work of all is seeing people born again come into the kingdom and come alive in Jesus and that's what we've been sent to go do that's the greater work in which we receive power but we and and that leads me to my last point is because we cannot do this on our own not in our own power so the final promise we're given is that disciples do these works through prayer in Jesus name through prayer in his name I think the Lord is extremely wise in many ways, and I think He's very wise to choose to work through the prayers of His people. Because if we did it without prayer, we would probably think that we did it. But the Lord wants to work through humility and realize we are dependent upon Him and His power, and it's always God's power. Verse 13, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, this sounds kind of like a blank check, doesn't it? But we know that's not how prayer works. And I think it helps us to understand that this promise is about Jesus' disciples continuing the work that He started. Jesus says, here's the power. Here are the resources you will need to accomplish my work. That's what praying in Jesus' name is about Continuing his work. It's not a magic word that we can say and our prayers will be answered. It means that you're praying on Jesus's behalf or for the sake of Jesus and his mission and his honor. You know, sometimes for various things, especially if you're in a position of, of leadership, uh, people uh, may ask to use your name, uh, maybe to say your name on, on your behalf or something that they would like to see done. Uh, uh, I experience this sometimes, sometimes people will announce something at church and they'll say, Pastor Nate really wants you to sign up for the church retreat in August. That's true, I really want you to sign up for the church retreat in August. Now, when someone uses your name, especially publicly, uh, at least I experienced this, you want it to accurately represent who you are. You would never want someone to use your name in a way that misrepresented you. That would be offensive to me. No one one should use my name for something that I did not say or something that I don't approve. That would not be, uh, I, I would not like that. I would not enjoy that. So we're praying in Jesus' name. We're coming to represent him, to represent his purposes, to represent his heart. That's how we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for the gospel to spread. We pray for what he wants to see happen. We pray for people to be healed. We pray for people to be told the truth. We pray for the good news of the kingdom to be preached and to go into the world. That's how we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for His work to be accomplished. Yes, we end our prayers in Jesus' name. Maybe we pray for something we want for ourselves. That's great. I think God wants us to bring our request to Him. But praying in His name means for your glory, for your kingdom, you're in charge it's all for you. It's all for your glory. When we say in Jesus' name, that's what we mean. Now, if we're discouraged, maybe you're discouraged about not seeing God move powerfully uh, around you, I would ask you to consider your prayer life. And maybe we should consider our collective prayer life too. Because if we've been tasked with carrying on the work of Jesus, how are we going to do that without praying together? You know, sometimes I think we miss things because in English, uh, in American English, or I should say maybe Northern English, we don't have the second person plural you. So when I say you should pray, we don't, we don't, it it could mean you, Zach's, or or you, you guys, y'all, that's right, which leads me to my perfect point, because y'all need the y'all version of the Bible. Did you know there's a y'all version of the Bible? Let me put this up there, because consider this in Matthew 14. Now, this is truly what it is in the Greek. It's the second person plural, so this is, might be a better translation. Whatever y'all ask in my name, this, is a, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If y'all ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Does that change it a little bit, maybe? I think that actually helps it. Y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying? I think, actually, I think this fits in what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There I am with them. The prayers of the church, the prayers of God's people, praying in his name, praying for his purposes will be answered. But we have to pray them in order for them to be answered. Because God chooses to work through prayer, the prayers of his people. Praying together. So our power to extend the ministry of Jesus to the world, to the next generation, to continue what Jesus started, what we've been tasked to do, the power for that comes from our praying together in Jesus' name. Whatever y'all ask in my name, that's what I'll do. These are the promises given to us, to the church. Disciples, we will do the works of Jesus. We will be empowered for for greater works by the, the risen Jesus and the Spirit. And these works will happen as we pray together in the name of Jesus. So we need to consider, how can we infuse more prayer into what we do together as a church? In fact, we were talking about this uh, in, in our leadership council a couple months ago. And one of our values is every meeting is a prayer meeting. And we're, the leadership of your church is hoping that every time that you meet, every committee you're on, every board you're on, every community group gathering that you have, that you would include a significant time of prayer for one another, yes, but also for the work of Jesus, for the work that God is doing in this church, through this church. We hope that you will pray for the leadership, for, for me, for your staff, for, for all that God is doing, for our kids, for the youth, for the neighborhoods that we're in, for the people we're trying to reach. Would you include a time of prayer that the work of Jesus might be extended through what God is doing in And my prayer is that in Jesus' name, faith covenant would continue His work and extend that to the next generation. Would you join me in that prayer?